Hi, welcome to the Transforming Spaces podcast by Gendered Intelligence. My name's Annie and my pronouns are she or they. And I'm Frankie and my pronouns are he, him. In this podcast, we'll be running through some of the talks delivered at the Transforming Spaces conference in 2018. Gendered Intelligence is a charity that works to increase understandings of gender diversity and help improve the lives of all trans people. Our vision is of a world where people are no longer constrained by narrow perceptions and expectations of gender, and where diverse gender expressions are visible and valued. If you're interested in supporting Gendered Intelligence or to find out more about our youth work, volunteer scheme, educational and professional services, please visit genderedintelligence.co.uk or follow us on our Twitter at genderintel. This week's theme is community spaces for trans people. Our speakers in this episode are Joe Lloyd, Senior Lecturer in Occupational Psychology, Head of Learning and Teaching and Institute of Management Studies at Goldsmiths University. And this panel is also hosted by Jay Stewart, CEO of Gendered Intelligence. started this I really didn't know. Um, Jay said, oh you know we should look at this culture participation. I was like, okay, I'll go and find a measure. Couldn't find a measure. Um, and the reason is is it's quite it's culturally specific. So there are no general measures. So every time you measure cultural participation you usually have to develop your own measure. Uh, so I looked into this and found out well okay what are the general features of cultural participation? Well first of all it's something that is part of everyday life. It's generally thought to be like a, you know, a social, a social justice issue, something that people have the right, human right, to have the ability to participate in culture. It is integral to quality of life. So across all the different readings I did, everyone was saying, this is massively important. It's, it's so much about fulfillment and quality of life. There is no universal definition because every culture is different, so how you participate in culture depends very specifically on which country you're in. And even kind of what your social group is within a country, because cultural participation is different for minority groups within a nation. Um, But broadly speaking, it involves things like attending or receiving. So to what extent do you visit certain spaces and to what extent do you read books, read magazines, consume culture, watch television? Uh, things like performing and production. So, you know, are you involved in actually producing culture? You know, are you part of a dance group? Do you write? Uh, do you sing? So are you actually producing, involved in the production of culture? And then interacting, which they talk a lot about around things like social media and information communication technologies, where you're actually part of this kind of ever-evolving body of information that you're interacting with. So like I said, we were most interested in this idea of attending because we were thinking a lot about space. How is space used? How are trans people accessing spaces? So we focused in very much on this idea of visiting or attending. We focused on European culture, so our limit to our study was that we were going to be doing this in England. So we thought, you know, European culture is broadly kind of indicative across the, you know, across Europe. So that's where we focused. And we created two measures. We created a general measure of participation. So, so to what extent do you visit museums, cultural heritage, archives, uh, libraries, clubs, music events? 
and also a trans-specific measure. To what extent do you attend trans community events, trans art performances? Uh, to what extent do you access trans services? Um, and we asked people to rate the frequency with which they did this over the course of the last 12 months. So I'm going to show you now some data on that initial sample of 884 trans people. So these different bars are representing different kinds of cultural pursuits that people are participating in or not. The blue bars are the general spaces. So for example, at the top here, we have museums, libraries, and archives, and we have historical monuments, archeological sites, and other cultural heritage. And the uh, purple ones are the trans or LGBT specific types of cultural participation. So the first one here we have is LGBT or trans-specific community events. Um, so really what we can see with this, uh, with this graphic is that overall, people are not participating all that much. Uh, so we have between two and three, which according to our scale is somewhere between rarely and occasionally. Um, so overall, not, you know, not loads of participation. What we also see is that trans people are participating more on the whole in general culture than they are in trans culture. Um, so you see the, the dark, the, the line that's kind of up the middle there is the average across all spaces. So on the whole, people are participating in general culture above average and trans culture slightly below average, uh, which is quite interesting. Uh, and I'll sort of say more about that as we go along. Now I split it up by age. So rather than looking at these specific different kinds of cultural participation, I've added them all together and averaged them, but I've split it out by age category. So as you go up the scale, you see we have 18 to 24 at the bottom, 25 to 34, 35 to 44, all the way up to 65 to 74. There's nobody in the category above that. And what we see again is that more people participating in general culture, and there is a trend here on general culture that the older these individuals are, the more likely they are to be participating in general culture. Uh, whereas for trans-specific culture, there's not really a discernible pattern there. So it seems that for, for trans and gender non-performing people participating in general culture, they do it more as they get older. By education, uh, so we've got a scale here from no formal education all the way up to PhD. We see the same trend. So as education level goes up, the more there is this participation in general culture, but no discernible pattern really uh, for trans culture. And then by income, uh, so starting at the bottom below £10,000 a year, going up to the top to above £70,000 per year. And we see that as you go up, again, same trend. So the more money trans people earn, the more likely they are to participate in general culture, but there's no pattern for trans-specific culture. So interesting that in all of, across all of these different demographics, there does seem to be quite a specific trend, uh, in, at least in trans people's participation in these more general aspects of culture. And then the final one, this is a slightly different one. So I should have said earlier on that every point at which we measured uh, trans and gender non-conforming people, we also collected a sample of cisgender individuals to have a comparison of at least some of our measures. 
So this is a comparison of trans and cisgender people's participation in general culture. And what I think is very clear here from the purple blocks, which is the trans participants, is that trans people are participating in culture more than cisgender people, which is really interesting. Um, so on the whole, trans people seem to be accessing, consuming, participating in culture more. And again, you know, kind of slight trend here. Uh, higher levels on historical monuments, museums, which we see kind of across the different categories. But, but it was interesting to me that, yeah, like I said, still only between two and three. So most people are saying that they do these things only rarely to occasionally. But I mean, I don't know, maybe that's sort of expected more generally. I mean, we've all got busy lives, maybe we're not <laughs> at museums every day. Um, okay. Just wondering how, how you talked about not that many people from Black, Asian, minority ethnic completed. What was the rating on disability? Um, you now, by Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't. Was I don't. it very small? Do you remember it being quite. Alone. It was quite a general question, I remember, mm -hmm. and then we asked people to say, what was that disability? And there was such a range of people saying, you know, physical disability, and some people saying mental health is an issue, mm -hmm. other people saying dyslexia is practice. So I think that's more of an issue for us to kind of, <laughs> yeah, to be a bit more, uh, yeah, specific. Okay, so that was your kind of frequency data. Now on to that second question of well, what is the impact of this? So it's interesting to look at how many people are doing what. But what does, what does trans cultural participation actually do for trans people? Like in the sense of how does it affect their well-being? So looking at kind of research that's already taken part, taken place in the area in relation to this, there's not a whole lot because there's not a whole lot of quantitative research on transgender populations full stop. Uh, the majority of research is qualitative, and even that is not a lot. It's kind of an underserved population in terms of research. Um, but in terms of the quantitative research that was out there, there was one piece of research I found on co community involvement, which I thought was kind of similar to cultural participation, not quite the same, but kind of similar. Uh, and that was found to be related to lower depression. So the more people involved themselves in their communities, the less their depression was. There were some other concepts that were, again, kind of related. So community belongingness, so a, set, a kind of subjective sense of I feel like I belong to this community was related to better well-being, uh, community connectedness, so I feel connected to my community, related to increased mental health, uh, and uh, identity pride, so the degree to which you feel proud of your trans identity was related to a lower depression and social anxiety. So looking at that, I wanted to kind of build a model uh, you know, looking at our variable cultural participation and how we thought it might impact people's quality of life. So the first thing that we looked at was, will this, will trans-specific cultural participation have an impact on some important quality of life outcomes? And the two that we chose were social inclusion and self-esteem. Now, social inclusion is quite a broad variable, and it talks about things like, do you feel like you connect you are broadly connecting with people. Do you feel like there are people you can have a good conversation with? Do you feel like there are people that genuinely understand you? So it's this sense of kind of being part of things, being part of the world. And then self-esteem is kind of a global rating of, you know, how do you feel about yourself? Do you feel like you're a good person? Do you feel like you like yourself kind of thing? 
So we thought that this cultural participation would, over time, and bear in mind this is over the course of one year, predict higher levels of social inclusion and higher levels of self-esteem. You know, with the reasoning that, you know, if you're participating more in culture, you may be more likely to feel included and you may feel better about yourself. But as you'll note back from the previous slide, we also have these related variables around belongingness and connectedness and pride, and we thought they would be important too. So we thought that maybe they would sort of sit as almost intermediary variables in this relationship. So in other words, if you participate more in culture, are you more likely to feel connected? And if you feel more connected, are you more likely to feel included more generally uh, and to have higher levels of self-esteem? And equally, if you participate more in culture, are you more likely to feel proud of your identity? You know, you're more likely to rate your identity as important and central and significant and meaningful. Um, and as a result of that, feel more included and have higher self-esteem. So we tested this with our research uh, over the course of one year. And this, it's a real strength to be testing these models longitudinally because, like I said, there's very little trans research that is quantitative, and that which does exist tends to be what we term, term cross-sectional. So in other words, you measure at one point in time, and then you can only really comment on the relationships between variables. You can't say one thing caused another or predicted another. Uh, you have to measure over time to be able to say, how you rated yourself one year ago has predicted how you are now behaving one year later. So it's a strong design, this longitudinal model. It was a large sample, 365 trans people over that year. And we used some really sophisticated uh, stats to do this. So we used something called structural equation modeling, uh, which people may or may not have heard of. But it's, it's quite a kind of... Uh, like I say, sophisticated quantitative analysis. And it, it's important because it allows us to do two quite significant things. It allows us to simultaneously test all of those relationships together. Now that's important because when you test these relationships in a piecemeal way, you're more likely to get error. You know, you're more likely to accidentally suggest that something is significant when it's not uh, because of the repeated testing of relationships. And it also allows us to reduce the impact of noise in the data. You know, so if I ask you to complete a questionnaire uh, or a survey, you might feel not great that day, and that might impact how you fill it out. Or you might be in a noisy cafe, and that might impact how you fill it out. But this structural equation modeling allows us to partial out that kind of no noise in the data. So it's almost a kind of cleaner, cleaner kind of analysis. Um, so apart from our cultural uh, participation measure, which we developed specifically for this project, we use psychometrically sound measures of trans stress and trans resilience. So these are measures that have been developed by other researchers and have already been tested and found to be very valid uh, and very, use, you know, very useful in these contexts. And like I said before, importantly, we did this in collaboration uh, with Gendered Intelligence, and they oriented us to the kinds of variables we should be looking at. And that's so important. You know, that collaboration is so important because otherwise, how do we know we're asking the right things? So what was our findings? Well, interestingly enough, we didn't get a significant relationship between cultural participation and social inclusion and self-esteem, or at least not directly. So just participating in culture didn't lead to an uplift in inclusion or self-esteem. But what we did find was that it led to an uplift in community connectedness. So if you rated yourself as participating more in trans culture, 
a year later, you raised yourself as being significantly more likely to have a feel a connection with the community. And also significantly like, more likely to be proud of your identity. And that, in turn, predicted social inclusion and self-esteem. So it's almost like participating in trans culture in and of itself isn't enough to predict social inclusion and self-esteem. We have to account for how we process that. You know, how we think about it. What does it do for us? And what it does is it enhances pride. Enhances identity pride. So the more you participate in culture, the more likely you are to feel, yeah, you know, my, my identity is central, my identity is important, it's meaningful. And then, because of that, you're more likely to feel included and have high self-esteem. So, summaries and conclusions. So like I said, trans people seem, seem to participate slightly more in general culture relative to LGBT or trans-specific culture. Um, and what can we conclude from that? I mean, I think one thing that I keep thinking is that there is so much less trans culture to participate in. Um, you know, so there, maybe that's a factor that it's, there are more, there are more museums, there are more archives, there are more libraries, there's more general music gigs to be a part of. So maybe it says something about the fact that we need more uh, trans culture for people to participate in. For general culture, participation trends towards higher levels for those who are older, more educated, and earn more money. Um, so kind of slightly sad picture, I guess, that general culture is not being accessed by trans people who are younger, less educated, and earn less money, or at least not to the same extent. And this is only a trend. It's not a statistically significant effect, so I don't want to overstate that. Um, but say that just generally it seems that there is this trend towards these, I guess, slightly more privileged subgroups within the trans community. Trans people show higher levels of general cultural participation compared to cisgender people. So what do we conclude from that? <laughs> that trans people are a good group to market to, I guess, you know? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to partake more. So that's... that's you know, they're a social group that is worth trying to get access to. Transcultural participation does positively impact quality of life outcomes indirectly, uh, but both in terms of how trans people feel in the world and how they feel about themselves. You know, so how to be able to say, I feel like people genuinely understand me, I feel connected to others. And transcultural participation facilitated them being able to make that statement. I think that's huge. You know, just to be able to say transcultural participation affected how I globally rate my own level of self self worth. You know, that's, that's huge as well. Like over the course of a year as well. But like I said, this effect is not necessarily direct, but was as a result of this identity pride uh, factor. And like I said before, this is more about, it's not just that you partake in culture, it's what that culture does for you. you know, it's the fact that it makes trans people you know, evaluate their identity and think positively about their identity and see it as meaningful and central and important. And because of that, uh, they experience these high levels of self-esteem and high levels of social inclusion. And yeah, that's it. Thanks for listening. Brilliant.
You've been listening to the Transforming Spaces podcast. Our next conference will be running on the 15th and 16th of November 2019, so make sure to save the date and we'll let you know when tickets are up. I know I will. (laughs) Thanks for listening. And if you want to continue this conversation or you have any points to add, we'd be really interested to hear your views. Um, So do please tweet us at... At Gender Intel. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.